Praise the Lord. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Before we can go to the service, the Lord has impressed in my heart to pray for our parents, those who have elderly parents in your home. If you have elderly parents in your home, I would request you to stand in the gap for them. Those of you who have elderly parents, if you have elderly parents back at home, the Lord has impressed in my heart to pray for them. So let us bow our heads and say, Lord, touch my mother, touch my father, watch over them, give them strength to serve you all the days of their life. Lord, let no harm, no danger come near them, Lord God. Father, send men and women that they will find favor with our parents, Lord God. There will be no one to harm them, no danger to come near them, nothing to come near that tent, Lord God. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Let ministering angels be upon our parents, Lord God. And Father, we want to say thank you for the life that you've given unto our parents, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that they watched over us when we were little children, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, that you have kept them safe, Father. Father, we say thank you. And Lord, the ones who have gone to be with you, we thank you for them also, Lord God. Thank you that they, grew, they, they watched over us while we were growing up. They didn't abandon us, Lord God. They provided for us. They protected us, Lord God. And we say thank you for our parents, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated in the presence of the Lord. I have one more request for you this afternoon while you go home. I want you to call your mom and your dad and tell them that you love them. Will you do that? And very specially, for the one who is the daughter-in-law for your parents, I want you to call them and say, don't call them mother-in-law, call mama. I want to say thank you. Will you do that? Will you do that? Amen. You have given a commitment. Without our parents, we may not be here. We could be in different places. So we thank God for our parents. Amen. Today, I want to share the word of God. And I've titled my message as... What makes a church an instrument for evangelism? What makes a church an instrument for evangelism? There are churches. There are thousands of churches. So many right around us. But are they a church that is commissioned to do the calling of the Messiah? And I'll be taking it from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. And as we know that this year is a year of evangelism that we have been talking all over from the start of this year. And even in our cell, we are having the study, doing a book on Acts. So in line with this, I have said, what makes a church an instrument for evangelism? One day, three pastors were having lunch together and they learned from each other that all three of them were facing the same problem, all the three pastors. So they had one common problem in each of their churches. All three of them had 
bats in their ceiling. The first pastor tried to solve the problem by taking his shotgun and trying to shoot the bats down. And he didn't succeed. The second pastor thought to himself, it's bad to use a shotgun. Let me capture these bats, take them to a very far countryside, and about two to three miles, he set them free. Before the pastor could reach the church, the bats were already in the ceiling. So the third pastor, when he was talking to them after a week, he says, brothers, I don't have any problem with my bats. And they were surprised and said, what did you do? How did you get rid of them? And he said, very simple. I do that to my members and I do that to my bats. He said, I caught my bats, I baptized my bats, and I registered them as members. And after that, the bats were never seen. I asked God to forgive me to share this joke because I was pondering, can I share this? And I said, Lord, forgive me because I know this is holy ground, but I want to share this with you. I had this on my table. I had my message on my table, and while having lunch, one of my members was reading, very inquisitive, he read the first part of the message, and I walked in and he says, can I ask you something, Mr. Claudia? He says, go ahead, ask me. He said, I, I read that, is that, you're giving a talk somewhere? I said, no, I'm, I'm preaching in church. He said, okay, but my, my curiosity is, how did the cricket bat go to the ceiling? <laughs> and then he says, I'm surprised, how did this pastor use a shotgun to shoot cricket bats? And why do you need to baptize cricket bats? And then I smiled at him and I said, it's not cricket bats, it's flying bats. So many of you, I hope all of you caught that. It was not cricket bat in the ceiling, it's flying bats that were in the ceiling. The amazing thing about the story is, it can be told even today of many denominations and people are able to relate with it. A weakness of the modern church that is as, the modern church has, it has a difficulty of attracting people and keeping them as members for a long time. That's the problem of many churches. How many of us, Luke made a statement just now. He says, I entered this church and I never went looking after another church. How many of us, the first thing we go, church hunting. And then we come back and we sit down again. So many of us have done that. It's strange that in, that in this case, because we find it very easy to attend church nowadays. In Oman, even you, because you know that if you attend church, you will never be arrested or you'll never be cast away in Oman. Am I right? And even nothing will affect your career also if you attend church in this country. We thank God. If you look at the churches nowadays, the churches are comfortable. The building is completely centralized AC. Think of the days when you were growing up, all the older men. We never had AC. It, the churches were not comfortable. We have a beautiful sound system where I'd have, I don't have to scream and shout to, for you to hear me. Then we say, we have another thing is, our chairs are quite comfortable. It's okay to fit all of us, they are not narrow. Then. We don't have to sit in a church where there is three to four hours of service. One hour service itself puts many to sleep. Imagine three to four hours service, what will be the state? So we thank God for that. So if you look at all this, you will think that the church has to be in big numbers. 
we're looking at all these things that we have, but the fact is the percentage has not gone more. It has not risen. With all these comforts, the church is still the same or even decreasing. At the present current rate, all that we see happening in churches is division and not multiplication. That's what is happening in many churches. We thank God it's not happening here in Jesus' name. Now, if you look very carefully, another trend that is happening is the sad part. Please don't misunderstand me in many churches, not in Bread of Life. What happens is the membership of or the position of a pastor is given from father to son by default. The man finishes high secondary, daddy says, go to Bible college. And daddy knows that this position has to be given to my son. But it's not wrong. Don't get me. It's not wrong. But daddy has to first find out if my son has got the calling to be a pastor. Just because he is my son does not give him the authority to become a pastor. And that's what is happening in many, many churches. Pastorship is going from father to son to son. It's becoming more business but they fail to see whether this child has got a calling. Is my son also called? I remember when Samuel came from, from school, from Yenigiri, I had a desire to send him to Bible college, but that was my desire. And I sat with him and I said, son, don't worry, I'll send you to Bible college. You can go there. When you come back, you can be a pastor of a church. And very sadly, he says, daddy, that's not my calling. And I said, Lord, that was my desire. It is not his calling. I'll make and make his own choice. And parents should do that. Don't push your children to serve God. They have to serve God willingly so that they will never turn back. If you force somebody to serve God, he will serve God only in front of you. In the, in the Western world, sorry to say that many churches are being sold. Even the church that I was once attending was sold because there were no members. All the members were going to different places. Some churches, the attendance is very high, high in attendance, but only 75% of them are having membership. They attend, they keep attending, they keep attending, they hear the call for membership, yet they're not willing to agree to be a part of the church. And then there is some, even though they are members, they, very few are discipled and very few are sent forth we thank God that Bread of Life has very good percentage of discipleship. Amen? You are in a good church to the glory of God. So when you examine the early church, you don't see this problem. In fact, the early church changed the course of human history. The early church did that. They didn't have any resources. They didn't have any buildings. They didn't have any seminaries. They didn't have any denominational headquarters to go to, yet they had an impact on nations. They had an impact on people. They had an impact on tribes. This happened because the early church possessed certain qualities that caused them to prosper even in the midst of trials and persecution. So we are going to look today as to how did this early church was able to penetrate society with so much of chaos right around them. And when we read in the book of Acts chapter 2, that's where we are going to dwell today. And when we see Acts chapter 2, 
we see the birth of the church. We see how God used the church. In the story in Acts chapter 2, I'm going to show you four characteristics of the early church that was so dynamic. And I pray to God, by the grace of God, we, we have already adopted almost all of them. Let us look where we lack, where we can become better, where we have to put away some things. That's the only way to look. And the only way for you to see who you are, it is to see in the mirror of the word of God. Amen? Not in man-made decisions, but to look at the mirror of God. And let us look at the first one. How an early church became a dynamic church. Number one is the early church is a place where the atmosphere in which God is free to move. That's my first point. God was free to move in the early church. When we read the first few verses of Acts chapter 2, you can put up Acts chapter 2, sister, verses 2 to 4, there are certain things that will attract you when you look at this verse. Number one that attracts you in Acts chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, we find the mighty rushing wind. Have you seen that there? The mighty rushing wind, number one. Number two, we see the flames of fire that is there. And three, we see the speaking or in tongues. So we see these three things in these two verses. But the key verse in, this, in, in these four verses, the key verse is in verse one. So have your Bibles. Look at verse one. The Bible says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in they were all together in one place, one accord. And that's very important for the presence of God to move, to be in one accord, in one place. When the church service takes place, what are we doing? We are all in different places and we expect God to move. We need to be in one place. When you are called, come in one accord. The followers of Jesus we see cultivated an atmosphere in which God was free to move, and they did it in two ways. I'm going to show you two ways how they cultivated an habit. Number one, they were obedience to his word. Obedience, next slide, sister. Obedience to his word. We all love God. How many of you love God? Can I see your hands? Praise God. We all love God, but do we love to be obedient to every word of God? Don't put your hands up now. We love God, correct? Are we obedient to every word that is written? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. When we learn to be obedient to every word of God, we give room for the Spirit of God to move freely. Amen? Amen. The followers of Jesus were all together in one place because they had been given direction, been given instruction before Jesus could ascend. And we find that in verse one of verse four in chapter one. Acts chapter one, look at verse four. The Bible says that Jesus said this. He said, do not leave Jerusalem. Do you see that? The problem is, where is our Jerusalem? Any volunteers? 
Your Jerusalem is where God has put you, correct? When I ask questions, you're scared to answer. You always think I'm trying to trap you. I won't trap you this time in Jesus' name. I've given you my word. Now, the problem is when God brings us to Jerusalem, we are supposed to stay there till he moves us. You got that? Many of us are brought into Jerusalem, but we wait to leave Jerusalem and go, wait till he sends you forth. Amen? And then it says, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So Jesus continuously told them, listen, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised you. I want to ask you a question today. What words have you received as a body of Christ from the word of God or from this pulpit that you have obeyed? Can I rephrase that again? What words have we received as a church that we need to obey God? God has been speaking continuously to us, amen? From the pulpit, from your personal life, from reading the scripture, from circumstances, through everything God has been speaking to you. Number one, I want to show you. As in, well, let us look at the scriptures. As in God, my first point, as in God commanded us to preach the gospel. Next point, sister. It's found in Mark chapter 16, verse 5. He says, so number one, God has commanded us to preach the gospel, but do your co-workers know that you are a Christian? We know we cannot preach the gospel in Oman outside, correct? You agree with me? Hello? We cannot go outside on the road and preach the gospel. They might put us in. But does the unbeliever know that you are a child of God? That you stand for what is right? Number two is he has commanded us to feed the hungry. That's what he has commanded us. He has commanded us to feed the hungry. It's in Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 to 40. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 20 also, he says, he says, if your neighbor is, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Then how much more for our neighbor? Here he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. How much more you should know to feed your neighbor? Let me ask you a question. How many of you take the effort after a service to see any singles among you and take them for a meal? Don't take them to your house. At least take them to a restaurant. Give them a meal, especially the singles. There are hundreds of singles. I'm not going to ask them to stand. It's our duty to look forward to see who is the single among us and say, brother, what are you doing today? Come and have a meal. And that way you share the love of Christ with them. It's not that they are in need, it's your love that is demonstrated that when that single becomes a double, he will do the same for someone else. So let us take it as an encouragement today. Go forth, see somebody and say, are you, what are you doing? Oh, I'm going home. Come, take them for a meal, share the love of God with that person. Amen? Number three, he has commanded us to clothe the naked. We find that same in Matthew 25. Let me ask you a question. I know it's not easy to visit the mission field. 
But if you're not able to go to a mission field, let me ask you a small question. In your vacation, can you buy at least few clothes and go to, God will show you somebody who is in real need, give them a clothing for them? God will send you someone to your house or you go forth. In our vacation, we enjoy only ourselves. We eat, 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 eat. All the biryani goes inside. We go 70 kilos, we come back 80 kilos. No, this is the truth. But have we taken the time to give one clothing to somebody who's in real need? Don't give for people who have too much. God will send you. Number four, he has commanded us to visit the sick. The Bible has commanded us to visit the sick. Let me ask you a question today. I know you will not love me today. When was the last time you went uninvited to an hospital? When was the last time you went uninvited to an hospital? When was the last time you went and prayed for somebody who was sick? I thank God for the brethren who do the hospital ministry. I thank God for, the, for our brothers who visit the sick. There are a lot who are doing it, but we need to, we need to do it in one accord, all of us. Amen? It's not just 50% do it. We all need to do that. Now, he has commanded us to love our neighbor, the fifth one. God has commanded us to love our neighbor. Do we have genuine love for our family members, for our friends, for those around us? How many of us have anger because our family hurt us long time ago? And we still hold the anger in our hearts. Now, God has given us the perfect word in the scripture. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he has said that we need this for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness. We need it. So the early church, if you look carefully, they demonstrated an atmosphere in which God was free to move. And they were committed in obeying the word of God. And when they did this, when they obeyed the word of God, they demonstrated the power of God was manifested within the church and extended outside the church. Amen? This is simple things to do. God is not asking you to climb mountains. He's not asking you to fly a rocket to the, to the space. He's, he's giving you five simple commands. If we can learn to only obey or try to live these five simple rules, we open the door for God's spirit to move in this place. Amen? We want evangelism, am I right? See, only 5%. We want evangelism, am I right? We preach evangelism, am I right? We cry evangelism, am I right? We desire evangelism, am I right? But do we follow the simple rule for evangelism? Simple. I've given you five basic things to follow. And you will find evangelism will follow you. Amen? The next one, they demonstrated, the early church demonstrated faith in God's promise. Next slide, sister. Faith in God's promise. They were waiting together because they believed and they knew in their hearts that Jesus was about to fulfill his promise he made few days earlier. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, if you look at Acts chapter 1, verse 5, in a few days, you will be baptized with the 
Holy Spirit. You see, he has asked them to wait, but he says, when you wait, you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit, number one. Number two, he says earlier in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, if you see your Bible's Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. I want to show you something. Pay very close attention to this. There's a key word there. In order to receive power, in order to be a witness, what do we need? See the center verse. It says you need to wait for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So those of you who are here today, you are born again, you are water baptized, but for some reason you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It is yours in Jesus' name. No wonder they were waiting because Jesus promised them that none of them wanted to miss this, this, this thing which, which, which was going to take place. They knew that whatever was about to happen, it's, it must be very important because Jesus said it's going to happen and they wanted to be a part of it. Brethren, even us, bread of life, we can also experience this wonderful move of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, if we are willing to believe God's promises. Are we? Do you know there's an old song which says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. But I like another song which just says, come my sister, another song which just says, I just keep. Can we sing that? My sister Caroline will join me. I just keep trusting my Lord as, as I walk along. I just keep trusting my Lord and he gives me a song. Though the storm clouds darken the sky or the heavenly train, I just keep trusting my Lord, he will a faithful friend I, I can, can count, count on him to the very end, end. though the storm clouds darken the sky or the heavenly train I just keep trusting my call upon the women they are going to enact a small drama and be blessed with it amen Praise the Lord. I said, Praise the Lord. 
We are here to present the harvest is plentiful. I said the harvest is plentiful. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And here are two sisters returning from the church. These days, very often, we hear pastors say that we have to reach out to the lost and to the unsaved and share the gospel with them. We have to do something about it, Flory. Do something? About what? You didn't hear what pastor said this morning? Were you sleeping during the message? God is reminding us of our work for the plentiful harvest, Flory. You know, pastor was saying that in Matthew chapter 9, the Lord told his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And Jesus also asked his disciples to pray for more laborers so that they can go into the harvest field and win souls for his kingdom. Flory, why not we both be workers in the harvest field? So don't start preaching to me a second service. We just came from church, Wendy. Flory, I'm only discussing what pastor preached this morning. You know, we have to have compassion. We have to have compassion, Flory. Compassion? Compassion on those who do not know the Lord. Because do you know they are heading for destruction? They don't have eternal life, Flory. I have a report to complete for tomorrow. I can't believe you speak like this, Flory. We can't all the time be busy with our own lives and not have time for God's work. You know, Flory, listen to me. We will be held accountable for that, you know, because we heard what Pastor said this morning. Oh, this girl. And here's a friend. She was quite okay yesterday. I met her. She gave me some cake that she made. She never woke up this morning. They say it could have been a cardiac arrest. It is so shocking and sudden, you know. I am on my way to Infomerita. I will see you soon. No, Flory, I cannot believe Kathy is no more. I cannot believe it. I had so many opportunities to share the gospel with her, but I failed, Flory. I failed. I had many opportunities to lead Kathy to Christ. I failed. Kathy I feel was so, so active and so hardworking. How can this be? I do not know, 
Florrie, I do not know. Death is so unexpected and death is so announced, unannounced, Florrie. We have to be careful. This is what I kept telling you. Let let's, us pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Oh God, I ask you to forgive me for not sharing the gospel with Kathy. I'm really sorry, Father. And now, Lord, from now on, on we commit ourselves to be laborers for your kingdom. Help, Help us, us, Lord. We are, we are ready, ready and available to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wendy? Yes, Florrie. Roini is down with viral fever. Let's go and visit her. Sure, Florrie. Let's not miss another opportunity to evangelize. They both leave, but on the way, let's see whom they meet. They meet a beggar on their way. They approach the beggar shares the love of Christ by sharing from an open Bible. And Wendy returns and gives the food, clothes and sandals to the beggar. with her head down. Hi Rohini, how are you? Because you are not keeping too well. We pray that Jesus will heal you. Can we pray for you Rohini? Thank you for coming. Wendy and Flory, please pray for me. Yes, we will. Most precious Jesus, we come before your throne of grace, Lord. We commit our sister Rohini into your most precious hand. Lord, my master, have mercy upon this sister and heal her. By your stripes, she's been healed and made whole. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Much better. Praise God. You're feeling better? Yes. Wow, that's wow, good news. That's Praise good. God. Something happened in me when you prayed. Did you pray in the name of Jesus? Yes, Roini. Jesus.
Jesus is the son of God. Yes, Rohini. Do you know something? Jesus loves you. That's why the Lord healed you in this manner. And only Jesus can save you, Rohini. Really? Yes. yes. I know Christians worship Jesus. And I heard about Jesus from my friends in school. Now, I understand the power of his name. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Rohini. Jesus died for all our sins. He was buried. And you know, Rohini, Jesus rose again on the third day. And only Jesus can save us. And only Jesus can heal us. And he's ready to save all those who believe in him. I want to believe in Jesus Christ. Sure you sure can, you Rohini. Can. Just pray with me. Say, Lord. Lord. I ask you. I ask you. To forgive me. To forgive me. For all my sins. For all my sins. I receive Jesus Christ. I receive Jesus Christ. As my Lord and personal Savior. As my Lord and personal Savior. Help me to follow Jesus. Help me to follow Jesus. All my days. All my days. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, Rohi. Now you are a child of God. Take this Bible and you can start reading and the Lord will speak to you. Amen. Amen. Tell the story of what the Lord has done for you. Go and tell the story of the love of Jesus Christ. Go and tell the story that the Lord loves you and me. And here is a palm reader. And on their way, they also meet drunkards and gamblers. And they also meet wayward women.
service if you could come onto the left hand side of the door and meet one of our leaders and those of you who have been attending the church from last year last november today we are having the newcomers meet so after the service immediately come on to the left side of my left and you can meet pastor francis and he will direct you where we have to go praise god where you blessed with the drama i want you to have one thought it might look like a drama but that's reality in many homes i remember even my brother in law used to make fun of us whenever we spoke about jesus they would have the bottle of whiskey or beer and they would make fun of us and that's real life so we need to pray for them that god will have mercy upon them and turn them from darkness to light amen my second point this afternoon is the early church demonstrated a dynamic thing on point 2 is they attracted the attention of outsiders the early church was able to attract the attention of outsiders repeatedly in the book of acts we see that the church was too powerful to be ignored they could not be ignored the church this was because of the day of pentecost that changed everything within the body of Christ and after that after the sound of the wind the the sight of the fire and the crowds that gathered around the house were amazed to see that now these men were speaking in a different language they realized that this was something beyond the natural beyond their understanding If you look at there are two scriptures I want to show you from Acts chapter 2 verses 7 and 8 if you have your bibles look at verse 7 and 8 they were utterly amazed they asked a question the first question that they asked is are not all these men 
Galileans? That's the first thing because they were surprised. Are not all these men Galileans? Then, how is that each of us hear them speak in our language? Imagine if you get 10, for example, 10 Nigerians suddenly talking in Tamil. Can you imagine that? 10 Nigerians, brothers, come here and they start talking that. Definitely we'll say the presence of God is here, correct? The same thing these people were amazed. There's something different. These are Galileans, but they are talking in our own language. That's the first point. The second point you find in verse 12, they were amazed and perplexed because they asked one another, what does this mean? This new thing that we see, what does it mean? A dynamic church or a spirit-filled church will attract outsiders. It will. A dynamic church will always attract people from outside. When the community sees our lives change and when they hear our testimonies, they will want to find out where have we come from. When they see our lives totally transformed, they will ask us a question, who are you, where are you from, how did you get this, and they will be attracted to the church. When you see the life of Jesus, there is one thing that you come to the conclusion when you look at the life of Jesus, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Jesus Christ has the power to change your life. Amen? Amen? That's what when you look at the life of Jesus, it's important to realize, however, as some have been attracted to you or the church, at the same time, they will also reject what is happening. I'll give you an example. Pay attention. As much as they are attracted to what's happening, there will be people who will also reject it also, and they will ridicule you. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says, but others were making fun of them and saying they had too much of wine to drink. You seen that? So same way the world will react. What did Jesus say in the scriptures? He says, he who is not for me is against me. And he also said, he who is not against me is for me. Amen. When the world examines the church, they will either join us or they will ridicule us because that's what is scriptural. So when, when people ridicule you, push you away, don't think something strange is happening to you. It happened to the disciples, it will happen to you. The third thing, the dynamic church will have, the third point is they will open the doors to everyone. A dynamic church will always have its doors opened a cultural church that has only events will have the doors closed because this event is only for us i want you to take a very tragic thing that is happening in church history is always if you notice they acted as a social club rather than the body of christ in the early days if you see the early days there were those who didn't allow Gentiles into their fellowship. 
You remember when Peter went to Cornelius' house? He was called and questioned, what the, why did you go there? The same thing that was the early, the second in the Middle Age, during the time of Reformation, Jews were excluded from church membership during the time of Reformation. In the recent generation now, people of different races have made some unwelcomed. I'll give you an example. I shared this about eight years ago. When I was new in the church, I did a house visit, not in Oman, while I was in US. And when I went for this house visit, I asked the brothers and sisters, I don't see you in church. What happened? And it was very sad that the woman of that family said, our pastor told us for us to find a church where it could be that we could be more at ease. Look at the word, that we could be more at ease because we were black colored Americans. And that broke my heart. And I left that church. I immediately said, this is not the place I'm going to worship God. So that is also happening. Of course, the church hasn't only excluded people on the bias of skin color. People have been put down because of age, gender, and social economical status. How often, sometimes, when somebody comes dressed up finely, we make sure that he's given the first row. Somebody badly dressed up, having a bad body odor, you can sit in this corner, and, Je and Jesus, in the Bible says that. And sometimes we do it knowingly or unknowingly. But when Peter spoke to the people on the day of Pentecost, he made it very clear that this miraculous experience that was happening, God wanted to destroy, totally destroy everything that caused division, and God was opening the door to the body of Christ for everyone to enter. Amen? Jesus said, uh, Peter said, that in Christ's church, there would be no room, number one, for race discrimination. Number one, race discrimination. We find that in verse 17, God says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on, 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 whoever you are, whatever race you come from, whatever gender you are, the Bible says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I want to think, at the time of Christ, Jews were considered to be God's people. Gentiles were considered to be separated from God. Religious Jewish men used to pray. This is what they used to pray. Lord, I thank you that I was neither born a woman nor a Gentile. Can you imagine that was the prayer of many Jewish, strict Jewish men. Thank you that I'm not born a woman. Thank you that I'm not born a Gentile. Though Gentiles came into Judaism, they didn't have the entire package and right to be one because they felt it was only for the Jews, it was seclusively theirs. Some even went to the extreme and they said, do not help a Gentile woman during the time of childbirth because we do not want another Gentile to be born. That's what happened in race discrimination in the early church. God had promised at that time, on every time in the Old Testament, 
that racism will be destroyed in the body of Christ. God's spirit was and is available for anyone, any nation, any people, any tribe, any gender. His kingdom is open for you in Jesus' name. Amen. The only question is, are you willing, are you hungry and thirsty for it? That's the only requirement. My second point, gender discrimination. He abolished that. In verse 17, I'm going to touch some very sensitive points now. Verse 17, it says, your sons and daughters will, your sons and daughters will prophesy. This is a very sensitive Bible-believing Christians sometimes do not allow this. But it's, I want you to look at the scriptures very carefully. I am not making this up. Saint Peter is not making this up. Peter wrote this from the mouth of God. If you look at Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, the Bible says in Joel 2, it says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Whoever you are, God says, if you're hungry, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I know there was a sister who spoke to me and said, Brother, I'm hungry for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ask. Simple. Ask and you will receive it in Jesus' name. In the New Testament, women played a very critical role in establishing several congregations. And you know that women were identified as fellow workers. Have you seen that? Look in your Bible. Women were called as fellow workers not pushed down as second-grade citizens. Acts chapter 16, verse 13. Acts chapter 17, verse 4. Women were recognized in the body of Christ. I don't, I don't have time to explore on this. I'll do it another day. It is enough to say that Scripture has made it very plain that women have to take an active role in the body of Christ. Amen. And we thank God to see this, that all our sisters have today taken part and we thank God that our church opens the doors for women to serve God. Amen? Amen. Very silent. Some men must be thinking, I don't know why only they open the doors for my wife. <laughs> my third point, age discrimination. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm going to touch another very critical point. Age discrimination. Verse 17. Look at that. Look at your scripture. The Bible says, your young men will see visions. Your older men will dream dreams. I know when we get old, a lot of dreams are coming. The real dreams that are not, which are supposed to come are not coming. It's a shame that organizations which do not allow to discriminate according to race and gender, pay attention, still discriminate according to age. You don't discriminate gender but we discriminate age. We also make a mistake. I have made this mistake and I have apologized for it. I've always said that the NG4C are the future generation. Actually, it's not true. They are the present generation. They are the present for this, for this world. We call them as the future generation. I will show you why. Peter says, so you look at it, look at the scripture very carefully. Verse 17 says, 
they will see when not for tomorrow, today. Today, your children will see vision. So they are not a generation of tomorrow, they are a generation of today. Amen? If today we have to go and be with the Lord, it is these children that have to take up the banner and have to preach the gospel. Today they will see visions, not tomorrow. Every member in the congregation, whether, no matter how young, how old, you have a part in the body of Christ to serve God. Do you remember pastors once said from this pulpit, as a young boy, he gave out tracts? What if his mother and father said, don't go and give tracts? Stay at home. He was of that day. And God honored that he's here today. Amen? Amen. The last characteristics. I want to finish quickly. It says, they proclaim the message of salvation. The most important thing. The early church proclaimed the message of salvation. Verse 21, it says, then anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter later finished the message by saying, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sin. Brethren and sisters, one reason many have lost the influence in the society is that the church as a whole is not preaching the message of salvation. Every time when a message is spoke, we always have to come to the cross. It's only at the cross where our needs are met. It's only at the cross that he has broken the bondage and made us right with God. Some preach against sin, but that's not the same as preaching the message of salvation. Some preach about political agenda, but that's not the message of salvation. The message of salvation is that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has the power to change your life. That's the message of salvation. I want to close. Three churches, a Baptist church, a Methodist church, and a Presbyterian church got together and they said, let us have a convention quickly. We need to reach out to the lost. And they got together, they all had a big crusade. And after the crusade, the Methodist church pastor very proudly says, brothers, he told the other two pastors, we thank God for the wonderful revival. Do you know we got four new families? And a lot of children, our church has got four families. And then the Baptist church smiled, the minister smiled and said, wow, that's good to hear that you got four families. But you know, we were more merciful and we were more vibrant. We got six families added to our church better than you. And last, the Presbyterian pastor looked at them and he says, I think I did better than both of you. And they said, how? He said, we got rid of 10 big families. Praise the Lord. You not got it. He got rid of 10 families and these got, got gained of six families. He says, God has cleansed our church and now we can worship in one accord and we are going to see revival take place. Find a place in God's house. I want to challenge you today. Find a place in God's house. Learn to be a pillar in the house of God. Do you remember when Joshua was fighting the battle, what was Moses doing? Moses was interceding on the mountain and there were two men. They went and they helped Moses. 
They stood on Moses' right and on his left, and they held his hand as he was praying. Become a pillar in the church. Maybe you're not a leader. Find a person. Stand with that person till the end, no matter what. Maybe you're not in the limelight now, but stand faithfully and hold that person's hand because one day you will be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to close quickly. Today, how do you compare yourself with the early church? My first question is, do we cultivate an apid or an atmosphere where God is free to move in our church? Number two, do we attract the attention of outsiders that they see our lives and say, where have you come from? I've come from bread of life. And that draws them. You don't have to speak. You don't have to preach. Live Christ at that place. Number three, do we open the doors for everybody? Or do we condemn them when they stand at the door and say, he is not right, she is not right, they are not fit to be here? Do we condemn them or we say our doors are opened? This is the house of God. Number four, do we preach the message of salvation? And every time, if the message of salvation is not preached, that's not the right place for you to be. Always remember, a church will take the congregation to the cross. Every time, you have to take your congregation back to the cross where he met us. Amen? I want to quickly close with, since we're running short of time, I would like to call upon the co-group of the women to quickly come forward here. The co-group of the women. Church, give them a big hand. These are the sisters faithfully, faithfully serve within the church. I want to call the women of the workers of various ministries, not men, okay? This is only for women. Women of various ministries, come quickly forward. Don't waste time, quickly. Workers of various ministries, quick, quick, please. Church, recognize the women of various ministries. That's not a clap. God bless you. God bless you. Many times, we do not honor the workers that they are supposed to be honored. And here is the time God has given us the grace to honor these women who have been faithfully serving God. And now I want to call upon the choir. Where are the choir? If you are already there, just lift up your hands. Brethren, give them a big hand. That's the choir. God bless you. The ushers, just lift up your hand. Is there any ushers? Any ushers around? Okay, they are here. Just lift up your hands, please. The photography team. Photography team. Where are the photographers? Ah, lift up your hands quite high. God bless you. Berrien readers, Berrien readers. Sister, hi, thank you. God bless you. The angry, Martha's Kitchen. Lift up your hands. Those of you who are angry, Martha's Kitchen. Dokas designers, wow, where are they? 
Docus Designers. Praise God. Now, since we got the workers here, I call upon if you are a sister, pay attention. If you are a sister, quickly come to the stage. If you are a sister, quickly. Quickly, give them a big hand. Sister, are you ready? to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read from 
the second part of verse 25 till 27. Now this is a passage that is often used while talking about a marriage seminar, but that's not my intention. 25b onwards. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the word, of the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, I want you to focus a bit on the message. We'll come back to the sisters, but focus on the message. Who is the church? Is it this building? Is it the big cathedrals that we see? So what is the church or who is the church? You and I are the church. And what is expected of us is that we need to be sanctified. We need to be cleansed. We need to allow God to move in our lives. We need to be able to attract outsiders. We need to open our doors. We need to be able to proclaim the message of salvation. That is your task and my task. Because you and I are the church. And today God has told us, we might be men, we might be women, we might be children, we might be anything. We might be tall, we might be short, we might be fat, or thin, or bald, or hairy. But we are the church, and God has a task. Today God is saying, you are my church. And I want you to do what I want the church to do. So church, just take a minute. Brothers, sisters, just take a minute to say, it's not about the building. God, thank you for talking to me today because I am the church. Sanctify me. Make me without blemish that I might do what you want me to do. That I might be the person who takes your word to that person who needs it. That I might have a welcome on my lips all the time. That the words that I say will be words of salvation to somebody. Church, say that. Pray that. It's all about you and me. God wants you to do what you have to do. Father, we thank you this day, Lord Father, that you have told us who we really are. We are your church. We are your people. But you have given us a task, Lord Father, to proclaim your word. And Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you used your servant today, Lord Father, to bring across that word to us, Lord Father. That you hold the church in such high esteem. That you want every single person who forms the church to be in your presence, the bride of Christ. Father God, make us worthy to be in that body, Lord Father. Sanctify us. Take away those spots and those wrinkles and those gossip and that accusations and that 
pride with which we siege. But make us the kind of people you want us to be, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have spoken to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm not going to end it there. I have a couple of minutes more. How many of you are husbands here? Am I seeing all the hands of husbands? Let me also put up my hand. You have a wife. A wife. Pray for that lady. Pray for that woman. She is somebody God has put next to you. She's not a showpiece. She's your helpmeet. Husbands, pray for your wives right now. They may be standing here. They may not be in this place. It's okay. Husbands, pray for your wife. Thank God for your wife. Husbands, are you praying for your wife? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Second question. How many of you have got mothers? How many of you have got mothers? You don't have mothers? I didn't say the men. I just said, how many of you have mothers? I have a mother. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't have a mother. You came through her. You came from her body. Pray for her. We've already prayed for our parents, father and mother. Now I'm saying pray for your mother. She is a woman. Every one of us Brothers, sisters, children, pray for your mother. Don't forget her. Pray for her. Pray for your mother. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. My last question. How many of you have got daughters? I have a daughter. How many of you have daughters? Married, unmarried, it's okay. You've got a daughter. Pray for her. Pray for your daughters, please. These need to be women as described in Proverbs 31. Church, fathers, mothers, pray for your daughters. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, Father. That in our midst, you have placed all of these wonderful sisters, Lord Father. 
talented people, Lord Father, that you have placed. Talented at home, talented at their work spots, talented in the church. And Father God, we are so grateful for them, Lord. Father, so very often, we don't even think about them. But it is you who created them, Lord. And you created them in your own image. Father, we just want to thank you for every sister who is here, Lord Father. We pray for our wives, our children, our daughters, our mothers who are not in this place, elsewhere. And we ask, Lord Father God, that you continue to sustain them, hold them in the palm of your hands, Lord Father. Every desire of their hearts, Lord Father, we just bring it unto you, Lord Father. Lay it at your feet that you will answer them, Lord Father. Father God, continue to use them in this place and continue to keep them as mighty warriors for you, Lord. We surrender every one of them into your hands, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that your blessings shall abound upon their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, let's share the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.